When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Top of the morning to you, darling. Ah, top of the morning. How are you, Monet? Out there in LA. In LA. Um, uh, LA is good. It's very early here. It is 8.30 in the morning. Um, but, you know, I am living my best queer life. And I'm excited to kind of be talking to you today. But more so importantly, I'm excited to talk to our special guest today as well. Yes, he is an author who has a new book out called The Viral Underclass, The Human Toll When Inequality and Disease Collide. Dr. Stephen W. Thrasher will be joining us momentarily to discuss Mm -hmm. viruses and how they affect people of color, low-income people of no color. Um, you know, gig workers, homeless, the, dis- homeless people, the disabled, the elderly. Yeah. Um, so Veterans, these are the people yeah. who are getting hit hardest by this. So Monet, now, you said were you, you a, couple- were you a case study in this book? Cause you, t- you, you check so many of the boxes. <laughs> uh, well, I did turn, this is my first podcast recording as a 60 year old, but I'm not yet considered elderly except by every other drag queen on, uh, uh the planet. But, um, Oh my God, your birthday. He, How was your birthday? Yeah, it was fun. I was in Seattle performing at this place called neighbors and thank you. Thank you. I'm actually, I'm not a big birthday person. Me so, either. uh, 
I I um I, I love to, to see that there's people who will you know like stretch their birthday out for a week and, and then some will say uh-uh, for a, if it's if it's like a big one like fifty or thirty or t- they'll stretch it out for a month but hey it, listen everybody wants to feel special I'm just kind of like uh I, I don't know I'll tell you this I have not had a ton of appointments so I have been waking up like jobs or doctors. Uh, either, either okay. one. Um, John, some bitch. It's when you're 60, you're the John. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't nobody paying you. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I, you said you'd had a couple friends that have had monkey pox. I have as well. And, um, you know, there seems to be a lot of confusion based on, them not having all of the vaccines they need and um, them still coming in. Obviously, people are very worried about monkeypox, a, 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 a drag race queen who I won't name because she didn't volunteer to be part of this podcast. Mm-hmm. I know she who. wasn't doing. No, you don't, because I only. Uh, no, you don't. I only just met her. Uh, the. Oh, no, uh, no, I know. Who, wait, we, wait, the, the, the draggers go that got monkeypox? No, the 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 oh, just just a, a drag race queen who I met and hit it off with, and she was telling me that you know since monkeypox had started popping up, that her her um, audiences had been smaller. So, oh, really? Um, yeah, well, I mean, to be I, fair, I, it was smaller before the monkeypox. Okay. So Rose had uh, monkeypox, and yeah, uh, she posted about it. I don't. I don't realize that it was public um, information, but our producer said she has posted about it, so I guess it's out there. And if it wasn't, maybe she was. She posted to her close friends, and now you know what? Now you all are close friends. So now we all know. Well, I mean, there's another uh, promoter who you and I have both worked with who had it, and you said you had a Ooh. couple of friends who have it. So, Mitch Farino, who made an Insta- oh, a TikTok yeah, yeah, video yeah, yeah. that was. You know, so, and I've seen a couple of other ones, but, you know, at this point, of course, there's fear involved, but there's also, it's coming a really weird time because there's weariness involved and people are just so sick of, of, um, you know, right or wrong, they're sick of the, the COVID precautions and here comes this new thing we have to worry about. So it's, um, it's, it's, it's not, uh, it's not a light or pleasant subject. But I, I also think that there there's a lot of uh, misinformation. I think Republicans are bashing this as a gay disease. Now, it currently is mainly affecting something like 98% of the people who are infected are men who have sex with men. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, it can be – it's not only spread in uh, sexual con. Uh, sexual contact, but that's the main way it's being spread now. Right. Now, will the maids who clean up the hotel rooms of someone who may have left it on their sheets or towels um, no, start No, trans- it's only skin-to-skin contact. No, it's not. You can get it from towels, bedding um, that have the uh, the shedding uh, sores in it. So this is, you know, like a, a gay couple just gave it to their dog um so it's i not, did see it's that not, the first the first human to um to animal um uh transferring with a, a monkeypox i saw that that's scary that's really scary because um there was one uh i don't even i'll ask steven uh dr thrasher 
you know, what his opinion of her is, her name is Denise DeWald, and she's always posting, you know, the most outrageous angles that you can think of. And she's, she was talking about how um, uh, once the monkeypox hits the rat population, look out. And then some people were saying on Twitter, oh no, you're, 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 you're way out of line here to go there. And now she's posting this, a dog just got it from its, you know, two, you know, owners who had it. And, um, and so she feels vindicated. All I know is that I hope that, that there's been a couple of children who got it. And of course the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world, if you're not an American and you're listening to the podcast, Marjorie is probably one of the most outspoken and often idiotic uh, uh, Republican uh, out there, uh, Georgia representative from the South. She's, uh, she's claiming that when the kid got monkeypox, she was claiming that how are these kids... Uh, getting monkeypox without sexual <laughs> relations, so automatically assuming the worst of gay people, you know that we're we're pedophiles and infecting children with monkeypox via sex, <clears throat> which is yeah. not the only way that is transmitted. It is right now the main way that it is, it is transmitted, and it is mainly yeah. hitting. Yeah, them. so so the, the, per, per, per the CDC, they have they have three tiers. Like so, like high risk is close sexual contact. Um, uh, medium risk is like being out at a club, like uh, touching, bumping elbows of people, like sweating on the dance floor. That's medium contact. And low contact is, and low risk is like touching objects like fabrics with cl- like clothing and bedding and towels. So that is a way to get it. But there's like a tear system. But again, who knows? You might be that one bitch who who sits on the on on the subway seat after after the monkey box girls, and you get it on your ass. Who knows? You know. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, there's also, um, when they say that you can, for prolonged face to face contact, and I think that they're saying that that would be 15 minutes and up is a way that you can get it. So whether you're, you know, like sitting very close to someone talking in their face, or, you know, you've been, you know, like snuggling with them or whatever, um, you can also get it through droplets that they have. You know, it, it, and and I mean, they're they're recommending that this is actually one thing I wanted to ask Dr. Thresher, Thresher about. They're actually uh, have been in the past advocating that healthcare workers wear masks when dealing with monkeypox because it, it patients with monkeypox because it there is it seems to be some people saying that there's airborne contact and some people. Uh, saying that there, it's not. So I just want to get a handle on, on you know, we're, we're, we're still learning about this monkeypox and we're still seeing how people, you know, respond to the vaccines and all this kind of stuff because it's all new and things well, to worry about. Well, I'm happy about. That, Dr., that Dr. Steven is coming here. I hope today with our guest that you're on your best behavior and you're not being, um, how do I say this, a fucking cunt. I'm not stoned. You're not? No, not at not at eleven thirty in the morning, eleven fifty five in the morning. No, I'm not. Girl, you don't even no, know the time. Is, you are stoned. Girl, she, Bunny's like, hey, girl, I'm not stoned at uh at thirteen ninety two this morning. You, I didn't say I had my glasses on. I said I'm not Boy. stoned. <laughs> I hate the world. Make it a better but place. I've, I've also seen Dr. Thrasher expressing some frustration about. America's lack of public health system, you know. I mean, I'd like preach to the choir, girl. We all know. 
That that, yeah. that ain't news. Yeah, I mean, but it it I think we could be better served by a different system. And in fact, I want to ask him about this too. England's monkeypox, according to one report that I don't remember what it was on, has actually plateaued. And one reason that they're crediting uh, that is that England has a national health system, which is already in place for you know people to you know do what they got to do in terms of tracking and testing and vaccinating. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, England will always have, and, and that department, they'll always have a leg, and not even just England, a lot of the fucking free world will always have a leg up on America when it comes to that, because our shit is just so fucked up. Um, so that's not surprising. I'm going to I'm gonna be there at the end of the month, so that's good to hear. I mean, not like I'm out here fucking people, but at least to know that it is uh, getting, that they are making positive strides, that's nice to hear, and very comforting. And well, I you're fucking the... them, you... You're fucking over anyone who is in your audience. <laughs> I'm not performing for an audience, honey, because I'm going to be performing on screen. I know you need to be uh, performing for the audiences, honey. I have a screen appearance, honey. Screen time, honey. Well, that, that that's great because then they can't smell you. <laughs> well, we're actually, honey, shooting in smell-o-vision, honey, because in the UK, they don't just have good health care. They have uh, 4D television. God, you are really uh, on a tear for being 8.30 a.m. <laughs> You're a mad. She woke up like this. She's still, <laughs> she, she's still out. She is still out, honey. You know, no, I, you you know I, I, I used to tell this story, and I, I still don't know. So as you know, Bunny, I grew up in New York City. And when I, I, when I, when I first went to high school, it was 2005. was my first year in high school. And I remember on when I was periodically, I would ride the train, I'd ride the subway up, I would take the two all the way to Times Square from the first stop to Times Square, then take the one train from 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 Times Square to 50th Street to go to school. And I would see drag queens on the subway going home as I was getting off the subway going to school. Would you ever be on the one train at around 7 a.m. in that area? Uh, I have done that for shoots that were early and when uh, there was something wrong with um, like I I insane traffic or a parade or something near the but street closures. I have taken the train just to save time. I had a gig at a museum on 57th Street and 8th Avenue. That's really four stops on the train. The train's right by my apartment. So... I just jumped on to save, you know, because so, when you're when you're going to Midtown, um, it's so tricky. It can easily be one hour even to mm -hmm. go thirty blocks. Yeah, so I just I, I, I never was, know what Queens was were. I want to know who it no, was. I saw. Well, I have been on um, in a cab coming home from a sex club with some friends, and uh, we were all tanked, like wasted. And the cab, one cab driver made us get out on 7th Avenue. We were coming from the Anvil, which is a legendary, like, 80s disco era. It was on the way out when I moved here, but it was like, that's where you went for the back room for fisting. We, I didn't go there, but Ooh. anyway, the cab driver made us get out of the cab, and then he sp we, we watched as he, he sprayed Lysol all over the cab, and we were rolling in the gutters laughing. Oh, God. We were just, we were just dying. I can't. <laughs> anvil. I never even heard of anyone. I never even heard of the Anvil. That's so... 
it was the up. it was the anything goes party of it was like a it was like a nightly black party. Black. It was like a it was like you know, like the black party that big cir- not circuit uh. event but it's like a, a very sexual environment and it was also after hours so this was I mean it started before AIDS so let me just tell you it was some wild. The Anvil was a gay BDSM after-hours sex club located at 500 West 14th Street and operated from 1974 to 1985. The club was housed in a building originally constructed in 1908 known as the Strand Hotel. Oh, no, the Strand Hotel. It's a little on the ground floor and it catered to sailors. Ooh, oh, my God, you guys are fisting sailors. It sounds so fun. (laughs) I didn't actually go to the back room, but... um, You lies, bitch. Yeah, you did. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. Mm. I, I didn't know. Cause you, cause you don't want you don't want someone to open their back door on you in the back room. No, because I was on the stage, honey. <laughs> you and <laughs> Miss Honey. <laughs> don't you hear me calling you, Miss Honey? Uh, Ebony. Miss Honey. XL. Who do you think? Who do you think is going to be the new Miss Honey? Or is uh, the new Miss Honey? Well. No, she was pretty unique. Unique New York. Yeah, Chanel. Chanel, Who's she that? was doing a she was doing a, a brunch gig or some gig in at um in Vegas, whatever. And then she did a bit when she took this woman's purse and she's walking around a bar. And then when before she went to go return the purse, she opens the woman's purse and takes like a wad of money. And the woman is alleging that they were all like hundred dollar bills. And she was laughing because she thought, oh, it's funny, whatever. When Chanel took took her money after the show, and she saw that she wasn't giving it back, she went to the bar and she's like, hey, give me like she took my money. And then Chanel like begins to like go off on her and call call her Karen and yada yada. Woman's like, no, you stole my fucking money, bitch. Give me my shit back. So now she's suing the bar or whatever. So you're talking about Chanel from season one, yes, of, of Drag Race. I love her. Um, there's a video of her. There's there's a video you can see Chanel open the purse, take the wad of money, close it, and then walks away. But we don't know what happened after that. Well, I mean, that's an old bit. Carmela yeah. Marcella Garcia used to do that, where she would, you know, grab women's purses and go, or men's wallets and go through it and embarrass them. I mean, usually, like, you know, saying, you know, I mean, pulling out whatever, you know, a tampon or a condom or, you know, right. whatever they had, you know, mace or whatever they've got in their purse that, <clears throat> that they're sensitive about. So that's an old. I've done it before. I've I've, yeah. I've done that. I've, I've done that that thing before, and it's funny. But I mean, I would never go if I was to take money. Like I, I like I've done it before. My show, I would go, I'll go into the thing. I would take like 20, 20 bucks out, and then. But you always there's a moment when that happens where you have where you can get get visual consent from the person, or you can read the situation. Is the person upset? Or are they in on it? And if the person looks like they're that there's an inkling that they're not cool with it, I would give it back to them, and then maybe they'll tip it back to me. But if I but if I go and I take it, I do a thing, and they're laughing, kiki kaka, and then then you know you everyone's cool. But there's always there's that like one moment where you can tell if it's consensual or not. I mean, you've already stolen the money, but you have to wait for that beat to like, are they into it or are they like giving my shit back? Yeah, well, I mean, listen, most people aren't, unless they're like serial hecklers, most people aren't used to being part of a show. 
And, um, you know, suddenly the lights on them and the drag queen with a microphone is talking about them and the innards of their purse or wallet. So, I mean, it's a, it, I, I mean, I, I don't think that I would, you know, I mean, if I trusted the drag queen to not be like, but I mean, yeah, you don't know what's going to be in there. Somebody's HIV medicine or, you know, I mean, you don't know. Yeah. And and it's, it's it's not something that I would ever do. Like this is I'm talking about. I would, I would do this back when I was still working before Drag Race. This, this is not something I would ever do now. Like I would never even, especially in today's climate, I would never even attempt or think of doing that because I'm like, girl, j- I just because of this, I know that it's just not cool. It's just not the same landscape. Yeah. Well, there was a queen um, from New York who. Um, I believe was cast on Drag Race, and they got some footage of her uh, rifling through people's phones, and <laughs> and uh, suddenly she wasn't booked anymore. <laughs> so, you know, they didn't want another Sherry Pie situation, I guess. So, ooh. Yeah. Anyway, let's just let it go with uh, it's a it's a it's a former shtick of a lot of drag queens <laughs> that I guess Chanel is still doing, but it can backfire. I mean, one of my favorite times I was performing at um, Industry, and Erica Jane, who is a housewife, you won't know who she is. I know housewife. who she is. Oh, because she was a, da- a, a supposed to be a dance diva before that. Yeah, because she because she was she was put on some records, and she had she had two nice records. Yeah, they they weren't they weren't very memorable, but they did they did go. Listen, she's got a rich husband, and mm. she would go around you know doing promo gigs in a private plane with dancers that she had hired, you know uh, to you know. Well, to she make had a rich a rich husband, girl. He ain't he ain't rich no more. Oh, okay, okay. Well, she um, spent all this money on private planes going to perform at at uh, gay pride things, right? Um, so yeah, and so she came to my show one time in industry, and I'll never forget. She came and she was watching me do my thing, and she like she just kept on pulling out hundreds to tip me. By the end of the night, she had tipped me five hundred bucks in like hundred dollar bills. I was like, "Bitch, you better work." I was like, You're, "This is your show now, honey. I'll do so, whatever you want." So you broke her husband. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Well, Lady Bunny, it is time to... (sighs) (laughs) Time to sigh? (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm gonna say time to time to get um some 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 educated points as as opposed to me listening to you just about nonsense to me. We have a very informed, smart, intellectual guest who's going to give us some knowledge here. 
Yes, Dr. Stephen W. Thrasher, who has just released on August 2nd his book, his first book, called The Viral Underclass, The Human Toll When Inequality and Disease Collide. Welcome, Stephen W. Th- Dr. Stephen yeah. W. Thrasher. <laughs> just, call me, just call me Stephen. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm really honored to be here with you. Um, I, I very much appreciate your anger. Uh, uh, about many of the things that I'm also angry about, um, and also your humor and the pathos that you bring to things. So very happy to uh, chop it up with you. Well, we're glad to have you. I mean, it is easy to get uh, angry when you yeah. are paying attention. <laughs> and I mean, so so did you be, this is your first book. Yes. And, and it, it talks about, um, you know, an underclass, which is often minorities, but also low-income people, disabled, elderly, gig workers, um, getting the short end of the stick. And Bunny, you ticked so many of those boxes, so we're very happy to have you here as a a live case study. And the one that I don't tick, you do, okay? Um, So so we will have a balanced discussion here. Um, So... um, I mean, did you did you begin writing this before COVID? Because COVID uh, obviously impacted African American community more, and then HIV did as well. So, what what did did you begin writing uh, the book before COVID? And then just because it's it's good timing. <laughs> yeah, I had. Uh, yeah, um, I had. Uh, I'd been. I'd st- I was trying to figure out what kind of book I was going to write. I'd written for many years about um, this case of a young man named Michael Johnson who was accused of transmitting HIV and sentenced to thirty years in prison, and uh, eventually got out after about six years in prison. But that was the basis of my PhD dissertation, which I had uh, finished and defended uh, not just a few months before COVID began. I was trying to figure out what kind of book I was going to write. Um, I was very fortunate to get to write in a number of publications about this story for years, but I wanted to do something more cohesive with it. And then COVID happened, and um, I talked to my agent and eventually met with book publishers about trying not to, and I, I hope I haven't, um, you know, write a flash-in-the-pan COVID book when when COVID was first hitting, as you all may remember, like, we didn't know it was going to happen. I didn't know, am I still yeah. going to have a... You know, I just landed this university job. I didn't know, am I still going to have it? Are students still going to go to college? Are they, are they going to lay off all of us who were hired in the first year? Um, are things like books still going to get bought? Are people going to be paying for entertainment? You know, we didn't know what was going to happen. But my agent thought, um, smartly, I think, that people would run out of things to watch on Netflix <laughs> and <laughs> that they would want to keep reading books. Um, and she thought, there's going to be a plethora of COVID books that probably won't be very good that people will rush into and write about quickly. Um, but she really encouraged me. I, I had this phrase, the viral underclass, near the end of my dissertation. And she said, think about the kind of book that you could write using that as a framework to both look backwards on HIV and, and other uh, viruses and history, but also as a analytic to think about and experience what was happening in the COVID-19 pandemic. So that's kind of what I did. I, I used that as the starting point and the framework um, for trying to write about what was going to happen. I didn't know it was going to happen. I didn't know, is that right about the book? You know, I didn't know that one of my favorite mentor editors was going to die of COVID. I didn't know how it was going to affect mm. um, the people in my life or me personally. So that was kind of the framework I used, and I tried to think that 
I could make a book that was written in the pandemic and in some ways be about it, but that wasn't only about it. And to try to see the ways that uh, the dynamics, which were you know, horrifying, we've never gone through something like this in our in our lifetime, a million people dead from one thing in just a couple of years. Um, and of course, there are particularities to that. But why it was so bad and how it played out really is just the latest step in a lot of things that happen in the United States. And so I tried to use it as a way to uh, situate and contextualize what we're going through historically, to think about what could happen badly uh, again, which we're seeing happen with monkeypox, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but also to try to use it as a way to think about what could, how could we imagine a better future? And so um, I think there are lots of lessons that we've seen in the pandemic and that I try to uh, tease out with this theory of a viral underclass to imagine ways that we could have a better, more fulfilling future going forward. And well, my, my, well, my question is, I mean, with, with, with all that considered, I mean, obviously this, a lot of this are studies from, from the U S do you see this in other countries as well? Or is this a, uh, a problem of the United States of America? Well, in the book, I'm, there's a lot of countries in the book. I'm, I'm primarily looking at the United States because that's where mm. I live and I'm an American Studies scholar. But the dynamic plays out in, in lots of other countries. Um, and the way I feel like I started seeing it most clearly was when I was uh, actually um, writing about uh, a drag queen in, in Greece. I had ended up in Greece on a writing fellowship while I was working on my dissertation uh, I had hoped to have a break from writing about police criminalization, to write a, to, to have a break from writing about police violence and HIV criminalization and some of these things. Um, I thought I would just be eating feta cheese and and um, you know and having good tomatoes and um, while I was writing. But in my first week in in Greece in Athens, uh, a person was uh, kicked to death by a mob. Uh, including by f- several mm. police officers. And it turned out he was not only a drag queen, um, but he was the most famous HIV activist in that country. Um, and so I saw a lot of the same things play out in different ways. And it was really interesting for me because so much of my research at the time had been about Black America and about the leg- the hundreds of years' legacies of the transatlantic slave trade and how that played out in North America, how that really set up a lot of things that happen with um, black gay life in the United States and and disease and health disparities in the U.S., it was really illuminating to see, oh, this is playing out in Europe amongst Europeans. Some of the things are quite Mm -hmm. similar. Um, I I try to trace in that chapter how Greece had actually had a lot of success doing HIV uh, mitigation and reduction and harm reduction until their economic crash. And when they had their economic crash in the EU, took over a lot of aspects of the country, they they got rid of a syringe exchange and they got rid of uh, street services to go out and take harm reduction to people and to reduce HIV. Um, and so that has a role not only in how this person became HIV positive, but also um, you can kind of see where that country stopped spending as much money on social services and put more money into policing and then creates this similar dynamic that we see, you know, when someone like George Floyd is killed, we can think about how much money goes into the Minneapolis police department and and he died with the coronavirus. Um, And so, you know, we see that that like these things overlap. And then in Greece, I see, oh, this person was killed by the police and he also was living with HIV. Um, So I see this in other countries. I've seen it um, in Asia. I write a little bit about Latin America as well. 
But the thing that I focus on that I think is very particular in the United States and creating a viral underclass is that when you get sick in the U.S., it often just puts off an economic bomb in your life um, and makes you makes you fall down. And so I know, and actually I imagine probably both of you might know as well or have seen these GoFundMes of people who are getting monkeypox and they are... Um, mandated to a quarantine, you know, of two weeks, four weeks, mm -hmm. maybe longer. If they have a job like me, they could potentially still earn money if they're not too sick, um, if they're not in too much pain, you know, they could potentially still work from home. But if they do work like the two of you, you know, they're shit out of luck. <laughs> you know, if you're set home yeah. with no economic support and you're a bartender, performer, retail worker, you know, um, and you're not getting any uh, unemployment or or support, then you are going to just fall down economically. Nobody, you know, nobody I know can can afford to go a month without their salary um, or, or their earnings. Well, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I I saw a trans activist named uh, Cecilia Gentili speaking with Act Up a couple weeks ago, who said. You know, some of us have sex for fun. Some of us has sec have sex for work. You know, but you've got to pay for the the sex workers to you know isolate so that they won't be tempted to work and spread you know monkeypox. And I, I I I retweeted it and I said, well, actually, that's true of anyone. I mean, they're saying that if that that people who try on clothes can spread monkeypox and that uh this may impact retail you know workers or you know i mean do, do we know everything about how this is being spread i mean this has come at a time when when uh we're we're so sick yeah. of of covid precautions <laughs> that many people's weariness has just said okay including the cdc which we can talk about too have just said you know kind of like let her rip but are are we are are we really prepared for monkeypox? I mean, I'm I'm seeing all kinds of different sure things. I, I mean, I'm very happy to talk about this. And Cecilia is in my book. She's um, uh, a, a fantastic advocate in a lot of these things. Um, but I'm very happy to you know talk about this because you're right. There's a lot of misinformation, and people are. Uh, very, they're very, very tired of thinking about anything with viruses. But unfortunately, the viruses are not done with us, so we have to talk about no. them. So I'm happy to have a, a chance to talk about this because you're right. There's a lot of misinformation, uh, and in the vacuum of the CDC and the federal government not providing clear information, I understand why there's so much confusion. And I have a piece coming out in Scientific American later this week. It may be out by the time your podcast actually drops. That's arguing very explicitly that um, we're dancing around how, how this version of monkeypox is transmitting. It's almost exclusively moving around the world uh, between men who have sex with other men. Um, and there are a couple of reasons. Some of this is a, is a network issue. It's, it's where it's wound up. Um, but I think that people are uh, misunderstanding a, a couple of significant things. One, that this version of monkeypox is a significant mutation from what had been studied for decades before. Um, and I had thought when I first saw the numbers around it, 95%, 98%, 99%, the absolute lowest I've seen anywhere in the world is 92%, uh, but most have been 95 to 99% of self-identified men who have sex with men. I've never before seen a virus so lodged in one population. And so I thought this has, you know, most likely 
there's some form of sexual transmission happening. What is the thing we all share is that we have sex with other men. You know, no offense um, to you or to Rue. Um, you know, like, it, 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 we're not watching, you know, Drag Race and getting this. Like, it, it's coming through sex. Um, if, there were, if there were other sort of more casual ways, which would map onto the previous versions of it, then you would see more spillover into other populations. Mm-hmm. But it, but I thought, like, this seems like it's moving sexually. And I thought of it as a sexually transmitted infection pretty quickly. Um, and research has been coming out since then that has revealed this. A study in London that was, 100, I think, 195 out of 196 of the people were gay. And um, the study uh, that was published in, in the British Journal of Medicine has extremely graphic photos um, of how this virus is, uh, how the symptoms are presenting. Um, and they're very different from how they've pre- presented before. And so that made me think it was sexual. And then it came out, there was a, um, a Nigerian doctor who had noticed in 2017 an outbreak where he'd seen very similar symptoms that didn't make sense. And he said, you know, we really need to really need to study this and see what, you know, is it moving through genital secretions? Because that hadn't been seen before. He thought there was probably a significant mutation, wasn't paid attention to. And so all the studies around the world since have shown that, and I think there's a very good case that it is moving um, either through genital secretions. There's even, there's a, a really detailed paper out of Spain last week that makes it look like, you know, having receptive anal sex or bottoming um, is highly increasing the likelihood of this. And so I think that this must be studied and understood to see, do we need to have sex differently? Is this the way that it's happening? Um, But in the absence of that, I'm very worried that straight people will panic and think they need this vaccine when there's very little of it. Um, and it doesn't look like, you know, through this uh, through this version of monkeypox that's circulating now, it doesn't really seem to be moving through clothes, you know, through um, through changing rooms. I don't think people need to worry about, mm-hmm. you know, trying on clothes and, and rooms and stuff like that. Because or real- sitting on the subway after someone who may have right. had it. Like this right. Is- right, yeah. Um, what I what I find really ironic is you know as, as tired of as everyone is of thinking about viruses, um, you know, I've I've seen a number of people and some I've known personally I've engaged them who've said oh you know I I think I should start wearing a mask now because of monkeypox it's like no you need to wear a mask because of the virus that has killed a million people and that is still killing mm-hmm. five hundred people a day in the United States like you know for COVID that's why you need to wear a mask. Um, but this trend, this version of monkeypox is almost entirely moving inside of our communities. There seems to be, um, you know, maybe one to two percent of the cases are happening amongst everyone else. But back of the envelope math, you know, if, if gay men and bisexual men make up two percent of the population or so, you know, that means we're like forty five hundred times more likely at risk if we're making up ninety ninety five percent of the cases. And that's where our efforts really need to be. And I don't think people need to worry about the subway or changing rooms. And and to your okay. to your point before what what you brought up earlier about you know what which is what your whole book is talking about, I I live here in Los Angeles and I was able to like they made the they made the the vaccine readily available for us to get it here in Los Angeles. Whereas I have friends in New Jersey and Philadelphia who they have been calling different clinics and obviously you know they they live in black neighborhoods, black communities, and you you are hard-pressed to find a place you can go to get the vaccine. Yeah. But here in Los Angeles, you know, it's ready. So the country is just doing a really poor job of making it accessible for men of color uh, who live in those neighborhoods. So it's it, the, the disparity for getting it um, in different parts of the country is very vast. 
Yeah, and the first set of data, or the first sets of data coming in, um, it's been known for 46 weeks, I'd say, that uh, since CDC did start breaking down who was affected by race, that was overwhelmingly affecting Black and Latin men. Um, but now the uh, sadly predictable but still enraging uh, inverse, I call them sort of the inverse statistics, have come out showing one, one was done in the city of Atlanta, one in the entire state of North Carolina. Excuse me, majority Black um, uh, infection, majority white uh, getting the vaccine. And that has to be very proactively yeah. dealt with. In New York, I think in, initially it was just in Chelsea, uh, but then they started opening up clinics in other neighborhoods. But because so much of it's done online, it's not necessarily the people in those places getting them. You know, if you open up a, um, a clinic in Harlem or the Bronx, but the portal for doing it is is given to people who can just sit and hit refresh all day and have a job that allows them to just go at two in the afternoon, then you're just increasing, right. you know, the same demographics are going to show up for it. Chicago, yeah. where I live uh, most of the year, um, has been good about doing lots of pop-ups and just going, you know, we're going to this park on, you know, on the South side and there's no sign up. We'll be there. They've gone to black pride. They've gone to, um, you know, existing clinics on the South side. Uh, and so, in addition to having people be able to sign up, uh, the health departments just literally have to go to where people are because the yeah. people who are the most at risk uh, are those who might not have health insurance and certainly those who can't just sit on their computer hitting refresh all day and have the freedom to say, oh, yeah, where, where is it happening in the city at what time of the day? Okay, I can you know take off a couple hours from my job and go do that. Um, we have to get the sex workers and the shift workers where they are. Girl, go to grassroots. Um, go to so, go to go to go to uh, go to glory holes. Go to bathhouses. Yeah. I mean, honestly, <laughs> I like literally, just yeah. go do it. Like, I mean, yeah. it really is to me. It it makes it go to the set, set up shop at the Rambles in Central Park yeah. and give people vaccines. <laughs> like, yeah. anyway, sorry, Bunny. No, no, that's that's fine. I mean, listen, uh, I am not a person of color, and I've not been able to get one. And you know, I don't know if I. Uh, the, 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 I, I don't, I'm not really worried about my own plight cause I can, you know, I can wait and I'm not that sexually active, but I was actually speaking to someone who said that, that two people who said they had to lie in order to get one and say that they'd had more than, um, uh, I don't remember Infections, several, SDIs, uh, yeah. no, 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 several, uh, several sexual partners within like a, a 14 day period. And so in, in fact, I'm, I'm not eligible because I haven't had that many sexual partners since COVID. <laughs> so, um, you know, and I was thinking, oh my God, all those years I was trying to lie to make people think I was less of a slut. Now I have to lie. <laughs> this, I'm, I'm a, a bit to say I'm a bigger slut than I actually am in order to get a vaccine. <laughs> You know, I mean, so it's it's what what happened with the with the vaccines? Because I know there were twenty million of them that didn't that expired, and then you know what 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 who's at fault? What, yeah, I want to know. The Ameri yeah, American capitalism is at fault. Um, there were there were all these smallpox vaccines, and they are difficult to administer. And and one of the big lies I think was after nine eleven. I don't know if you remember this. Were you living in the city then, Bunny, in New York? Yeah, oh, yeah. yes. Um, you know, they said, oh, there could be smallpox bioterror war and we're going to have 400 million vaccines and be ready to vaccinate everyone, you know, when this when this bioterror comes. It, it, it seems like it was all a complete lie. And the way that you gave those vaccines, 
no one knows how to give them anymore. I mean, they're, they're used for TB in some other countries, but it's not just giving you the shot like you get now for most things. You prick people 15 times. You know, the, It's a very delicate thing to learn how to do, and no one's been trained on how to do it in decades now. Um, so those are the vaccines mm. that were around, and then there was, I think, another smallpox vaccine that was allowed to expire. Um, the one that we're primarily using now is from another country. I think it's developed in Norway, but it's manufactured in Bulgaria. So now we're on the opposite side of the equation, mm-hmm. um, as we've put many other countries, you know, with, with the COVID and Moderna, <laughs> where, where other countries have wanted this and the U.S. has protected those patents. We're now, the you know, European Union is sort of protecting their patents and we can't just manufacture these because we didn't develop how to do it. And there's very little of it. There's just a few million doses. And the U.S. had a, this is where, this is where I get angry at the Biden administration. The U.S. had 300,000 of them um, in June, wow. and they could have, as some of us were calling for at the time, very proactively, you know, Pride was the perfect time for it. As you're saying, like set up in the rambles, but also set up, you know, all the Pride events around the country. It's it's could not be an easier time to sort of have um, ready-made, yeah. you know, infrastructure. And because we're in this historic anomaly of adults getting vaccinated, which has not happened on a national scale in decades. You know, I think a lot mm-hmm. of people would have been willing, but the Biden administration really said, well, we're gonna see, we, we don't wanna buy all three. They had a purchase order potential of 300,000 and they sort of said, eh, let's see how it plays out. Um, but any disease infection person can tell you preventing things is much cheaper and much better, you know, than waiting for them yeah. to get out of control. Um, and so that was a real missed opportunity to not at least use those 300,000 when now we're going to need millions of them and it's going to take months to get them. Can, can you explain this to me? Um, at, 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 there, at first they said we needed two vaccine shots 28 days apart and that they would kick in two weeks after the second shot. Yes. Then they started running out and they said, you need one vaccine. Um, you, we can give you one vaccine and we'll worry about the second one when other people have gotten their first one, which gives a degree of protection, which is better than none. Um, and then uh, the, then now they're saying, at least in New York, um, that you can take one-fifth of one vaccine. Now, I'm not a scientist, <laughs> but if they used to say you needed two vaccines and then wait for two weeks for full protection, now they're saying you you, you can take one-fifth of one dose? Why did you need the two doses? I just can't wrap my head around sure. that. It feels like we're being shortchanged. And then there's something about how they're administering this uh, under the skin rather than the muscle, and that makes it stretch forward. Is that true, or are they just saying that to cover their ass? <laughs> <laughs> I wait. I, I didn't know New York was saying all of this stuff. I, I I've not heard any of this. Were you able to get yeah. two? Were you able to get two vaccines in LA? Two shots? No. Well, I've, I I'm eligible for my second one at the end of August. But I mean, as far as all of my friends who have gotten the vaccine, it has gotten like for example, when I I, I got it um, at the end of. Uh, July, and I had to wait in line for about two and a half hours. Um, my partner just got it about a week ago, and he was only in line for 45 minutes. So it seems to be getting easier and easier and more accessible. So I, I, I'm I, assuming that when I'm eligible for my second dose, I should be able to get it. I haven't heard otherwise or anyone else having problems. 
Well, you may or may not. We'll see. We'll see at the time. Uh, check back. Yeah. Check back yeah. in with us, because um, I know a lot of people have their second ones canceled. So um, the one fifth oh. thing is not. It, it's not actually one fifth of the vaccine. It's like how much, how many you can get out of a vial. Um, so like with with okay. the COVID vaccine, like you would get five or some, sometimes there'd be six in in the vials depending on it. And this is what they're talking about. But it's not well understood. Like they are trying to skimp and see will it work as much. Um, and I'll give you as much mm. information as I. I honestly can, um, which is more than some and not as much as others have, um, because there's a lot we don't know yet. Like this is a, it's a new vaccine, uh, understanding it's, mm-hmm. it's only a couple of years old. And unlike the COVID vaccine, which was being used by quickly millions and eventually billions of people, there was a lot of information studying it kind of happening in real time. It's not going to hurt anyone, um, but it's going to take, we're, we're in essence at one point of a trial and what act up people really, how they really changed the game with AIDS was to sort of upend the system saying, okay, once you know, it's not going to hurt people. And then once you know that the odds of it helping people outweigh doing nothing, then you start mm-hmm. giving it to people to start getting protection and studying it. So in essence, we're, we're in a study, but it's actually kind of a small study because not that many are going out. Um, the, the point of doing one shot instead of two worked with COVID in, in many countries where with those vaccines, you got like 80, 90% of the protection from the first shot. And then the second shot would increase it a little bit, but would also increase its durability. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm making this up, but the concept is right. Um, you know, like say you got one COVID shot and it would protect you for like two months. And then you got the second one, it would up it a little bit, but make it last like six to eight months. Um, and so, in countries, England did this well. A number of countries said, we're going to give twice as many shots to twice as many people to get that 80, 90% um, rather than half as many to half as many people. And that made the death rate come down much faster. And so something like that is being tried now um, to give twice as much to twice as many people, which will give you more community protection, not individual protection, um, in the hopes that that will help the cases start to come down. The X factor here is... We don't understand, I don't think, how well the one shot works. And it's not, you know, this I can say with some confidence, our frame of reference with everything right now is COVID. So there is a good understanding of one shot versus two shot. And I think that we're just mapping that onto hoping it will, like hoping enough protection will come from the one, but it's not really known. Um, There is some protection that comes from the first one. And there is a case, I think, to say, yeah, you know, if you have 100 shots, and 200 people, you give 100 shots to 100 people, which brings down the rate amongst all 200 on average, even though it doesn't mm-hmm. make you as protected on an individual level. Um, so in some ways, it's like a form of harm reduction, and that's why it's being done. And New York has done it. The UK is doing it nationally. Um, New York City has done it. Chicago, I've heard both from friends. I got one shot. I don't know when I'm going to get the second. Um because I, where I got it, they did not automatically give it to me. They did not automatically give me a second date. Some organizations did give them a second date, but then I know people have had them cancel, where they, they've called them and said, no, we've actually decided to, to do more people and we will contact you later. Um, so that's kind of how it's playing out. It's very frustrating. Um, I understand that's frustrating and confusing, but the general principle is protecting more people will help the community more than giving twice as much protection to half as many people. Okay, so t- can, can I'm not able to get a clear answer, or, or I'm not able to comprehend what I'm reading sometimes because I'm not a scientist. But um, 
you know, a friend of mine suggested to me that, uh, well, not suggested, told me that his doctor, when asked about monkeypox, told him that if you got a smallpox vaccine as a child, yes. um, obviously I was a child 50 years ago, so I don't know how long <laughs> that, whether I need a booster or what, but it, that you don't need a monkeypox vaccine. Is that true? Is that is that valid? Is that something to consider? Yeah, it's it's there is some truth to it. How effective it is isn't known, but the monkeypox and the smallpox are very close to each other. Um, and the smallpox vaccine is giving some protection to it. How much is hard to say. You know, in a couple of years, people will be studied and it will be known better. Um, but it, it is known that that you know that vaccine will work on it. You know, the issue with um uh, people like you and and I've had other friends like this as well. It's like you weren't necessarily boosted on a schedule. It's not like you had a, a you know a, a schedule because smallpox has been eradicated. You know, thank God, um, and it's not really around anymore except in labs. Um, so it didn't become necessary to give people a booster every ten years the way you might get a tetanus booster or something like that. Um, so it's been a long time since you had that, and how much protection is unknown, but it probably gives some. I think there's, um, you know, and I haven't re read research on this, but it, it makes some sense. I, I was getting very concerned about monkeypox in Chicago because I lived near a hotel called the Congress Hotel, which is where International Mr. Leather happens. And um, and I'd already started writing my, I'd already started writing. Say no yeah. more. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't worried like, you know, it was going to leap out at me or anything like that. But I was really annoyed. I was like, this is one of these fucking opportunities where like, they should be out vaccinating people. Like we have thousands mm -hmm. of people, a lot of people, you know, people were coming from Canada and Europe from country where it had already happened. And I was like, I don't, mm -hmm. you know, why is this not a place? And I assume there would be cases out of it. And there were. There were seven cases that came out of it. But a reason why that actually might have been a pretty low number is because a lot of people who go to International Mr. Leather are older <laughs> and would have had a smallpox vaccine. So that oh. actually may have been one of the reasons why there was a pretty low number of cases that, that came out of it. Um, and one of the things I try to write about in the book, and I think Gabe people are pretty good about, uh, certainly more than the general population of the United States, um, is that we have to think like... Because being gay makes you smarter. Yeah. It's bi <laughs> yes. biologically. Makes you makes us fabulous. Um, you know, it's like, like we have to think about the communal body. Like, it's not just about protecting yourself. Um, it's about, right. it's about, you know, protecting one another and, and dealing with all of us together. Um, so yeah, so something like that, there, there could have been some group protection from, from that vaccine. Um, but if you're not getting it too much right now, Lady Bunny, and you have the smallpox vaccine, you, you should be okay. But I do think, like, I think this brings up a conundrum. I've thought about it as well, that, um, cause I haven't been having that much sex since COVID either. And yet I, you know, I got my, my first vaccine, um, and I think that people should not have to just lie and say, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to be chained. I'm going to like wait to get the vaccine forever because I, well, I will just not have sex. Like we need to get this to people who are at risk because an important part of our lives is connecting to one another. And we should be able yeah. to have sex without worrying about this thing. Um, especially when the kind of sex that we have puts us at risk. And I don't think, Anyone should feel like they have to, you know, say, oh, I, I bottom draw 10 times you know, to be able to get um, this vaccine. If you're the kind of like, you know, if, if the kind of life that you lead puts you in contact with um, 
something that's important in life, you know, having sex with other gay men, um, then you should be able to get this vaccine and not feel like you're, you should be ineligible because you are willing to wait. Nobody should have to be celibate for months on end um, because the government is not getting enough of these vaccines. And now, right. and I, I, another a question I had now, I know that obviously we, we've been talking about how, how hard it is to get the vaccine. Is there some type of, that you know of, is there, so anyone listening who may, who may experience this, if you know that you have had a direct exposure to monkeypox, is there a way to expedite your, um, your, cause a, a friend of mine who got the monkeypox, he was able to get the vaccine the same day and well, he was in contact with someone yeah. that he was for sure had monkeypox. He got the vaccine the same day, and his and his and, and his experience with the vaccine was, I mean, with with the disease was pretty low. He had like a little fever. He had like one bump, and then it was fine. Is there a way to expedite getting the vaccine if you know you have had you have had direct contact? There should be. I mean, it's very dependent on your local health department. But in Chicago okay. and New York, where I know what's happening best, um, and of course, the unfair thing about this is as having a kind of medical literacy or ability to navigate the systems, although that's something we can help each other and gay organizations are doing, um, is that mm. you've, if you've had a known exposure and um, your doctor or some organization should be able to help get you quickly into getting the vaccine, because under certain circumstances, it depends on timing and symptoms, um, getting uh -huh. the vaccine after an exposure or the beginning of symptoms will, uh, it's used like PAP, like um, post-exposure prophylaxis with yeah. Uh, HIV uh, medications, ARVs. Um, so yeah, people should be able to get that, and that should help them. Uh, and I think it's you know it's changed depending on what jurisdiction has what materials. But in theory, I think that most health departments will prioritize that person quickly, appropriately. If you've been exposed or you're having beginning symptoms, you should get it the fastest. That that is important for that person, but also um, for keeping more transmission from happening in the community. Okay. I wanted to ask you, so is the monkeypox vaccine, what is it supposed to do and how should we modify our behaviors? I mean, obviously, whether we can or cannot get it. For example, if you, you know, if the, if the highest protection is after two doses, which we're not sure we can get right now, after two weeks after you get it. So let's say you're not able to get it like me. I mean, what should you be doing? I mean, if you get the vaccine and you're able to get both of them, because um, some people in Suffolk County, which is Fire Island, have been able to get both of them because their system is set up differently. So if you have both of them, how would you modify your uh, behavior or how would you not need to modify yeah. your, your, your behavior? What does the vaccine do? Does it ward off uh, you getting monkeypox or does it just give you as in when it's used as a for people who have already got monkeypox to just slow the, the the case down and the pain and the you know the the amount of time you need to isolate well some of it is like we're still finding out the more the more people get it the more we'll have a sense of exactly how uh, the more people who get the vaccine the, the more we'll know like rates of breakthrough infections and whatnot. There's not a huge amount of data. The biggest study, which was out of France, um, saw some breakthrough cases, but then it was, but those were in cases related to, um, as you were just saying, uh, people had gotten it as PEP, you know, who, who'd already had an exposure, maybe already had it. Um, but it's going to give protection. It's, you know, it's, mo it, it, 
at the least, it should probably make it so that people are not getting terrible symptoms or maybe one bump instead of 50. You know, I, I have one friend who got it early on in this wave and he had 50 very painful bumps all around his body. Um, and so it seems like, you know, you might get one, you might have uh, some, a few uh, fever or whatever, but it shouldn't be so bad. But in theory, it should probably, um, you know, keep a lot of people from getting it at all or feeling any symptoms. What people should do, and I think there's different degrees of this, whether you get the vaccine or not, um, if you can, and I don't say this like judgmentally or meanly, but if you can avoid having anonymous sex with large groups of people, this is a good time to do so. Not everyone can. Some people, it's a big part of their life. Some people are sex workers. That's how they earn their living. Um, but as mm -hmm. much as you can afford not to do that and try not to do that now, this would be a good time to do so. Um, of course, th this might sound like common sense, but not having sex with people with obvious symptoms, talking to each other, uh, you know, ha which is what we've done since the early days of AIDS, having open co communication with one another about the kind of sex that we're having. Um, pods would be a great time now, you know, like if five or 10 pods? guys, yeah, like if five or 10 guys, wow. you know, like remember when people had COVID pods um, early yeah. in the pandemic, you know, if five or 10 of your friends can all agree, like we're only going to have sex, wait two weeks and we're all going to have sex with each other, you could all have as much sex as you want with past each bunny, other. Bunny, <laughs> let's start a pod, bunny. No, I, I already started a pod, but with my family. So we're just having sex like we always did a Tennessee. <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, oh we, we, we all know everything, you know. So, we, so, so, you know, you touched on something that I find is very interesting. I'm not the most uh, politically correct person. Of course, Republicans will use this as a way to bash gays and say that we're not only groomers, but that we're infected with monkeypox. And so, mm -hmm. you know what, they're, they're not going to like the gays anyway. Right. So I don't want, I'm not really looking for their approval. And I'm also seeing like for, for example they're now trying to rename monkeypox because of the stigma either attaching to i don't know communities of color uh gay people or whatever and i'm kind of like thinking you know what get the damn vaccines and and i don't care you know what you call it so much i mean we're we're so, we're dancing around this and you know i you know we don't want to stigmatize people you know with it but at the same time you know when i posted something about it someone said oh well don't stigmatize gay men you're giving republicans a few i said listen babe um i would feel more stigmatized. I'm trying to spread information about how you get monkeypox and whatnot. I would feel a lot more stigmatized if I'm sitting up with bumps scarring my face for four <laughs> weeks, unable to work. So, you know, you take the stigma. And I mean, there was this thing, and um, you're probably more familiar with the San Francisco AIDS Foundation than I am. I don't really know what they are. But before the door alley, um, uh, like a kink weekend that's kind of like the a, a more in crowd Folsom thing the 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 San Francisco Aid Foundation through a cartoon character called douchey which may appeal to some <laughs> not to me but uh, but uh, the uh, douchey's what you do before the sex but whatever okay uh, they they said you know you can still go they sent out guidelines saying you can still go to the door alley weekend you know and they had some suggestions that were really creative like wear head to toe lace latex indulge in your latex fantasy because then you're not going to be touching anybody with mm -hmm. laces because you're all covered up. But then 
Um, I'm con- they, they had one that was like, cover up your bumps. I'm like, no, <laughs> sit your pot. I don't want, I don't want to stigmatize anyone. I don't want to be, ma- I'm a slut. So, you know, I'm not slut shaming anybody, but I'm like, no, cover your poxy ass up and sit at home. Do not go out to sex parties. You should be in pain. You should be understanding how this feels and not want to give it to your community. Yeah. I mean, but with 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 that, I I, I agree hundred percent. But I mean, and I don't want to say people have to, but to what to to Doctor Stevens' point earlier, people who kind of have to do that stuff, I get the whole covering up. But of course, we would like people to stay the fuck at home. But some we can all like that. But there are some people who are gonna go out and fuck even knowing that they have monkeypox anyway. That is just how that is the reality of the situation. That is, that is the reality of selfish people out there. It's going to happen. Well, I think that, I mean, yeah, these are really important and sometimes thorny questions. Um, and, you know, and we're, we're, you know, we're so vain as gay people. So I think a lot of, <laughs> a lot of us are not going to go out with pox. Um, I don't think right. it's a huge number of people <laughs> doing that. Um, it, you know, it would probably be more sort of skirting the length of quarantine when you feel like you're fine or something. But I agree, you know, Bunny, that there are things that we can do for our community without, you know, without slut shaming one another. And part of that is, you know, and there've been kind of positive things about this even more broadly through public health since COVID of, you know, like encouraging sexting and encouraging video sex and things like this and trying to make that less stigmatizing um, for people when they do have to quarantine. Um, And I think that it is, you know, I've said as well, if, if you can stay home and not participate in big sex things, I think this is okay time to do it. A lot of communities have done this. Windy City Jacks, uh, you know, a group masturbation group, which actually probably wouldn't be so um, so dangerous in these settings, but they had sent out a notice, I think, in June that was very touching and very um, professional, and I felt very sympathetic, saying, first of all, all three of us who organized this all have COVID. <laughs> Um, and then they said, and then they said, also, we don't understand this monkeypox thing. So we're, we're going to suspend our next party, maybe two. Um, we don't think it's a good time to all be in a basement together with the COVID rates. And also, we don't know how to advise one another how, you know, is this okay? You know, is group masturbation okay? Um, and they just kind of had a sense of humility. And they said, you know, we're going to use our efforts this summer. We're, the three of us are going to recover from COVID, first of all, to give the context of how this is all happening anyway. Um, and then they said, you know, we're going to use our efforts this summer to try to help figure people out how to get vaccinated. Um, the Inferno Party has done something similar here in New York. A number of, of like these things, uh, these groups have done this. And they've said, you know, we can mm-hmm. wait a month or two to do it, which I think is a very responsible and you know, kind and community-oriented thing to do. Um, so that certainly can happen. Um, and I, you know, I agree, Bunny. Like, I, I don't think we should be telling people like how to hide your symptoms. Um, you know, we should be, we should figure out the best practices. But I think with new viruses and monkeypox has been around for a long time, but this version of it, however it's mutated, is new. I do think we have to have a sense of humility. And I I take your point and understand they're going to call us groomers. I totally agree they're going to do it anyway. And I feel like liberals, broadly beyond gay people, but liberals will run from these fights. You know, the, abort, uh, the right wing is going to call anyone who's... Uh, for abortion access, baby killers. They're going to call us baby killers. They're going to call women baby killers, Planned Parenthood. All of them, they're going to call us baby killers. Liberals will, like, try to find euphemisms. Oh, it's about choice. And, 
Yeah, like a lot of them can't say abortion. Biden never says the word. Harris hardly ever says the word. Um, and so I think like those of us who think abortion access should be important and necessary should not be afraid to say the word and should not describe it as something other than the termination of a pregnancy. It's it's healthcare. It's healthcare for the parent, you know, or the the mother or the the person carrying the child. Um, but it is healthcare and it is the termination of a pregnancy. It's very safe. It's very ethical and it's important. And I don't think that we, that they should feel ashamed to say that. And similarly, I think when something like this is happening in ninety to ninety five percent of the cases amongst gay men, we should not be ashamed to say that. And that's why I'm really leaning into studying it sexually. Is it, you know, could it be that we need to use condoms for this and that will reduce transmission? It could be. We don't know yet. There are these viruses that people don't even think of as sexually transmitted, like uh, Ebola, Zika, and West Nile virus, I think as well, that can pass through sperm. So if someone is you know, trying to get pregnant or with their partner and they've been exposed to Zika virus, they, you know, they, they need to think about that and know that. And so th- we're mm-hmm. in a period right now, like where we need to know more and, and to know more, we cannot be ashamed and embarrassed about saying there's, there's something happening here and we need to understand it better. This is not the time for a sense of shame about that. It's a time to like say, yes, like we need to understand it better. In the unknowing, that there could be things that we can do safer, but we need to understand that more. Yeah. Um, well, well, can I ask? Go ahead, Monique. Well, well you, can, you mine is kind of going back to um, that's the book. Something I'm I'm really interested in is how do you see how do we annihilate the inequality of the viral in the class? Like, how, like what are steps that we take to make this not an issue? To make this not a problem? To make this better. Well, I mean, it's, you know, it, it, it only means the um, fundamentally restructuring of the American way of life. That's, that's all okay. that it requires. <laughs> um, that small step. Um, yeah, like there are particularities to these different viruses, but the viral underclass is perpetuated by these same problems that we see repeated throughout American society. And many of them mm-hmm. are quite predictable, you know, kind of at a tactical level, um, how do we undo sort of the way that viruses themselves make an underclass? That would mean economically supporting people right now with what's with what they're going through. Um, if you have a monkeypox uh, diagnosis, if you have a COVID diagnosis, not only do you need to you know stay your ass home as a sort of moral imperative, you need to economically be able to to stay home if you can't mm-hmm, afford to, course. you know, and so. Yeah. Okay. Do it. Right. Um, what I found very frustrating about Biden getting COVID was that he was, in essence, giving the same message that Trump did: that I'm a strong man who can get over it, and that people should not rest and recover. And I think the president of the United States should not be working uh, in the residency with staffers around him unmasked while he has COVID, and he should be projecting that if a 79 year old gets this. <laughs> virus that they should rest it's the best it's the best way to recover from it it's certainly and the, the clinical evidence is strong on this the best way to avoid the possibility of long covid is that you should rest and recover and i was very disappointed that he was projecting the same sort of bullshit heterosexual bravada you know male shit um as trump did and i'm gonna go through it and then which creates the idea that people who do get sick and die have done something bad and are weak and that's why that they uh, fared badly. Thank you so much, Dr. Stephen W. Thrasher. Please check out on Celadon Books. 
the viral underclass when the human toll, I mean, the human toll when equality and disease collide. Thank, Thank you. you so much, honey. Thank you. This has been a treat. Podcast Network.